morning, church. Happy New Year. Seems like for some of you, it's been a while since we've seen each other, but it is good to see everyone again. Did you enjoy the worship service this morning? Just start off the first Sunday just praising God. Praising God for who He is and what He's done for us. Thank you, Eric and the band. Very, very removing this morning. Well, this morning we start a series called Worst Year Ever. Yeah, you laugh. <laughs> God's grace and hardships. Our, our, our text this morning is going to be Genesis 3, but be, don't turn there yet. We'll get there in a moment. I don't know. I know the pastors here have answered many questions like this this past year, particularly dealing with many people in our community. Questions like, why are all these problems in the world? What more could happen this year? Yeah, some of us have asked that question. Why is there so much chaos and confusion? Why does God do this to us? See, in these, most cases, these questions come from individuals without a biblical worldview. Individuals that the activities of the world, they're deprived from biblical truth. They don't understand. Especially, there's particular six areas that we've dealt with this year. There's that word that begins with a C, COVID, coronavirus, COVID. There you go. Yes, I know what it, what it is. Social instability. Financial instability, racial inequality we dealt with this year in our country, political absurdity, it's the best word I could find for it, and educational uncertainty. I, I, I really, I, and your pastors uh, felt really, really just horrible, for, particularly for our students this past year, just going in and out of school, and I know some of the students are like, I like being at home, but your parents don't, okay? They like you at school, you know? But even our seniors that graduated last year, just missing out on a lot of the athletics or the fine arts uh, uh, the activities that you had. Just, just, uh, just a bizarre time. Since the beginning of time, people have asked the question when we go through situations like this, why? Why? Well, many point their finger at God, shake their fist. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this in our life? Why are you doing this to our country? From a death of a loved one to losing your business to seeing the world in turmoil. We, many people in the world question, God, why? Why? Well, many of us may have had that question too. So before we go to Genesis 3, I want us to turn to Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning. Minor prophet, if you go to the middle of your Bible or Matthew, hang a left, go five books, and you will find it. Probably in the pages that haven't been turned a lot. But I want us to start here because Habakkuk had these same questions. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, let's begin reading this morning. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, and that word oracle actually in Hebrew means burden. This is a burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw that was going on in his time. He says this in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so righteous goes forth perverted. Wow, wow, and wow. That sounds like something we would have asked God during this particular year, wouldn't we have? 
Remember, in the book of, put it in context, the book of Habakkuk, Israel is going through one of its worst times in history. God is going to wreak, wreak judgment on Israel. So what's happening in Israel this time? Habakkuk is looking at God and listen, why is all this wickedness happening? Why are, you, why are you just sitting there doing nothing? Well, as only God can do, he responds in verse 5, and he says this, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. And that word there, wonder and astoundment, gives this idea of jaw drops. For I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. So God continues to tell his plan in the book where basically the Chaldeans, which are the Babylonians, will come and destroy Israel. will take them of all their food, all their produce, their land is gone. It's not something that Habakkuk wanted to hear. So back to our question this morning, Why? Much just like Habakkuk, why was this we consider like the worst year ever? The things that we've gone through. Well, I hope by the time of our study together, as we come to the end, you'll understand why we as humanity go through tough times like this. Do you remember nursery rhymes growing up? I don't know if they really do them anymore in school. But nursery rhymes are kind of like depressing, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. So we're like singing a song about a kid who had a head trauma rolling down the hill. Doesn't make any sense. Or this one, it's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. He bumped his head, went to bed, and didn't get up in the morning. So did he die in his sleep that we're singing about as a child? I, I don't get it. Or our favorite Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. You get to the end of that nursery time, it's like, what happened to Humpty? Will he ever live again? Well, this morning we're going to talk about a fall that has ruined humanity forever. Seeing God's grace in hardship. Actually, the day of Genesis chapter 3 was the worst day in history of mankind, the day of the fall, the day that sin entered the cosmos, the day that sin entered the world, the day that sin entered our DNA, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, since sin, since sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. 2020 has nothing on Genesis chapter 3 as being the worst day. We are where we are today because of Genesis chapter 3. You see, when Lucifer crashed and burned out of the sight of God, he made, his earth, he made his way to earth to destroy the individuals that were created in his image. He wanted to break the fellowship that humanity had with God. So as we look to answer this question of why, why is the world in the situation it's in? Our text this morning is Genesis 3. As we begin our journey of the years, the decades, the millennium that we experience through our history, not just 2020, this problem goes back 6,000 years of wars and strife and contention. And still people blame God for all the things that are going on around us. So let's look at verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, and the Lord God had made, that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, 
you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman, Eve, responded and said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Underline that phrase, you will be like God. Isn't that why Satan is down as a serpent on earth? Because he wanted to be like God? And God said, get out. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves, made themselves loincloths. We all know, we are very familiar with this story. To get us up to speed, Genesis, we jump into Genesis 3. Well, Genesis 1 and 2 is the account of creation. The world created in seven days. I want us to make sure we understand, the young people here, high schoolers, middle schoolers, college kids, this is biblical history. And the reason why I, I reiterated it when we were talking about the virgin birth, there is a narrative in our college circles, in our academics, that is trying to debunk the word of God. You must understand, for those that are watching on, understand that this is biblical history. This happened, this is true, God said it did. Okay? No matter how much you get made fun of, we stand by God's truth. This is what the word of God says. We here at Faith Bible were considered young earth creationists. We believe the earth to be about 6,000 years old. See, how do you do that? Well, we follow genealogies. If you look at Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of Jesus, it takes you. I know they're the passages of Scripture that when we come to in devotions, we're like, all right, skip. Because they're names we can't pronounce, and it's boring. But it provides a point for us. Luke 3 takes us back from Jesus to Adam. Jude 14 takes us, Enoch is seventh removed from Adam. You see, you follow those genealogies, and it gives us this idea that here about it is why the world was made and created. In fact, other passages of Scripture, not just Genesis 1, Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, says at the end of that verse, he gives all men new life and breath. He's the creator. Job 38 and 39, when Job and God were having this conversation, and God says, hold on to your horses here, Job. Where were you when I made this, 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 and this? Psalms 139, Psalms 104, and even in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 18. Jesus is the creator of all things. Creation is true. It happened. Don't believe the nonsense of evolution. No amen? And even when they add theistic into it, theistic evolution, it's still garbage. Because God, created the world in six days and rested on the seventh it's biblical truth it's biblical history that word day in genesis comes from the hebrew word om which means 24 hours actually it means sunset to sunset god spoke time into existence didn't he eternity past there was no time in eternity future there is no time second peter chapter three gives us that picture one day with god is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day can you, can you put your mind around that? 
Like, I, I thought about individuals in my family that have passed in the, since I've been alive. My grandfather passed in 1982. Man, it's like memories of him. But he's been in heaven like less than a year. Hey, five minutes in heaven. Why? Because there is no time. God spoke time into existence. Paul told the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. We say, well, you're talking about Genesis 3. Well, man messed up, didn't we? Real big in the garden. God had this plan, this perfect plan for humanity. Look what he did in creation. Genesis 1 and 2, how specific creation was. Noah's Ark in Genesis chapter 6. How many of you have been out to the Kentucky... Um, I was going to say Kentucky Derby, but that's not right. The Ark, you better not be at the Kentucky Derby, no. Um, the Ark in Kentucky. Okay, where did that man come up with the schematics for the Ark? Specific. What about the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25? Read some of these passages and look at the detail God has when he wanted things done his way. Even in plans in Joshua chapter 6, when Joshua was told to march around Jericho six times on the last day, seventh, and blow your trumpets and the walls will fall down. We sit there and read that story. We study that this summer. You're like, that's bizarre. But God has a reason and a plan for everything. We think of Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 6. You ever look and see what God wanted in his temple? There's specifics. There's precision. Even when we think of end times, Revelation 14 through 18, God has seal, trumpet, and bold judgments in order. There will be things happening on this earth in the time he wants it to happen. And guess what, church? They will happen in the order he says they were going to happen because God is a God of order. So this brings us back to the question, why? Well, brothers and sisters, for the past 6,000 years, many people have had that question. And the answer is one word, it's sin. We sang about the redeeming of sin this morning. God overcame through Jesus our sin. You can say here that Adam really bombed here, didn't he, in the garden? You could really say he was the first Adam bomb. I know, my kids are going to say, Dad, why in the world? Would you think? <laughs> They're already looking at me, Dad, just walk off the stage now. But he did. He made a mistake. Him and Eve made the biggest mistake that affected the world. So we come into Genesis chapter 3, and we just came from seeing a beautiful wedding. Genesis 2.24 is the picture of the first marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. For Pastor Mike and Pastor Frank and I who, who perform weddings, this is a verse we use. This was the first wedding ceremony. And then the first verse of chapter 3 is what? And now the serpent. Ooh. So who was the serpent? Satan. Okay, well, let's find out. Where does it say that in Scripture? Go to Revelation chapter 12. Actually, the, the, this verse will be on the screen in front of you. Revelation 12, 9. Says this, and this is a passage of scripture that talks about the future of Satan. This is talking to be during the tribulation period. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He is thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. See, Lucifer was created, he was who Satan used to be. 
Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 give the accounts of Satan's fall from heaven. He was day spring. He was a morning star. He was an angel. He was a cherubim. And guess what his job was? His job was to magnify the glory of God. That was Lucifer's job. But due to pride, he was cast out of heaven to wreak havoc on our world. And, and brothers and sisters, he will continue to do that until he's thrown into his eternal destiny, which is the lake of fire. We're dealing with him today, and we will continue to do so. A talking serpent. Some of us would run from a snake, let alone a talk. Where's Frankie? Is Frankie here? On the service. If you ever go hiking with Frankie, if you see a snake on a trail, he will, he will sleep five miles from that snake. I was with him one day. He's like, nope, we're not staying here. We're going somewhere. It's just a snake. But let alone a talking serpent, we would definitely be wondering what the deal was. So today I'd like us to look at three helpful lessons or thoughts this morning of what we can learn from our first parents, Adam and Eve, and how we can apply that to our lives because Satan has not changed his tactics, has he? He hasn't. So our first thought this morning is number one choices your choices will be challenged your choices will be challenged let's read verses one through three again now the servant was more crafty cunning is the word there than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made he said to the woman did you actually did god actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent here she made her choice she made her stand we may we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden but god says you shall not eat of the trees that are in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die you see eve here was questioned by the serpent he she was alone now it's a little hard to not to it's easy to be alone when you are one of the only other people on the world right created she was by herself at this particular moment but when she made the choice of what God said, God says we can't eat of this tree. We can eat of all the other trees. We can't eat of this tree. Did Satan stop? Did Satan stop? To, okay, all right, that, that satisfies mine. No, what did he do? He kept pursuing. He didn't stop. Even when she made the right choice to obey God, I think Satan challenges god in three ways particularly we see it here and in our lives we see here challenges god's love for us you mean god's not gonna let you eat of that tree that beautiful tree you'd be happy if you ate that tree can you replay those questions and situations in your life when you're tempted with something and say is it really do you think god he's questioning god's love for us think about his parents there are things as parents we don't want our kids to do, or grandparents, or nieces or nephews. You don't want your kids to get involved with it, so they're not allowed to hang around these people. Or you don't want them here. Why? It's not because you don't love them. It's because you do love them, and you know the consequences. And we don't know what the consequences as far as there was, if the fruit was a bad fruit that they couldn't eat. No, it, it, the Scripture doesn't tell that. God says, don't eat of it. God loves us. In the middle of sin, when we are being tempted as a sin, guess what? Satan's going to have you question God's love for you. You know, he questioned in Matthew 4, he questioned God himself in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Hey, turn this stone to bread. Hey, go up to the temple and jump off. Hey, take you up to the high heavens. Hey, you bow before me. The creator, he's tempted. Do you think he's going to tempt you? Yeah. 
He is not, he is, he is out for all of us. He also questions, he challenges God's word. Look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat, when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan goes against the very word of God. You're not going to die if you eat. You'll be better off eating that tree. You know what he's doing here? He's calling God a flat-out liar. And when we're tempted, when Satan and his demons come into our life and tempt us, he's calling God a liar. And it's up to us to believe, are we going to fall in that trap? I think also we see here Satan challenged God's love for Eve and for us as humanity. God's word also challenges God's truth here. See, he's constantly questioning God's character and his word in our life. Think about it a minute. Satan gets to question the very words that God has told us in his word, and he tries to recircumvent everything that God says to make us do what he wants us to do. Even the word sin, even the church has kind of changed that kind of a different definition. Not that sin is bad and wrong, but how we say it. For instance, you go to work tomorrow and someone does something wrong. Man, you just sinned. You're a sinner. See how that plays out at work tomorrow. There are people who are running from you. Oh, man, Jason's in the break room, man. You better get away from him. He's crazy today. Do you know that there's an official politically correct handbook in today's world? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't surprise you, does it? Everyone gets their feelings hurt at some point in today's world. But let's look at some of those words in the area of sin. I, I'm, not, I'm not messing with you. Seriously, this is, this is truth here. That's not Bible truth, but it's, it's true. This handbook does exist. So the word immorality. Yeah, you don't want to be called immoral or a fornicator or promiscuous. So sexually active. Okay. That takes a little bit of the sting away from it, right? It's better than be called promiscuous or immoral. Dishonest. Here is the politically term, political term for uh, dishonesty. Ethically disoriented. I, I kid you not. Ethically disoriented. Drug addict. You have a pharmacological difference. Pharmacological difference instead of being a drug addict. Stealing. You're a non-traditional shopper. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not messing with you. This is what it says. Murdering. Serial killer. You are socially misaligned. So can you imagine Moses writing the Ten Commandments with politically correct words? You shall not be a non-shopper. You shall not be socially misaligned. You see how Satan has put words and changed the meaning of sin and how it comes across? He hasn't changed his tactics. He's been doing it for centuries. But God's word, God says, walk my way and I will help you fight Satan. We can't fight Satan on our own. We need God's help. We need his word. Proverbs 22 says, a prudent man sees danger. Church, we need to be prudent in our Christian walk. We need to follow what Paul tells the church of Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes. This passage in Genesis 3, it was a scheme to get humanity to fall. In fact, Paul told the Christians, the church in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. This is in the church. 
Verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan disguised, and that word disguised there in the Greek means to cause to change in the form of something, disguises himself as an angel of light. And doesn't he do that with us in our lives? Sin doesn't look like the end consequence of it, does it? It looks beautiful. It looks, why? He's an angel of light. He can disguise himself as an angel of light. Satan is a liar, church. He cannot be trusted. Look where it's gotten us as humanity. Look where it has gotten us. Not only must we understand that our choices, when you make a choice to follow God, you think you're, okay, you're beyond temptation now. Satan does not give up. He will question your choice. He will come at you hard. The second thing we want to learn is together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So now that you have the question, we're talking about why does these things happen. So the other question that arises in this passage of scripture, the age-old question, who is to blame? Guys? No, don't answer that. Who is to blame here in the garden? Well, I believe 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 gives us that. Paul tells Timothy this, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Listen, understand this in the area of this. Disobedience is worse than deception. Eve is not blamed for the responsibility of the fall. Adam is, isn't he? And here's why. First, sin first came into the world because Adam acted out of disobedience. He usurped the authority that God gave him over his wife. And Eve took, took advantage of that and took leadership. Adam, Adam knew what he was doing. Eve was deceived. We, we can surprise every day we're deceived about something, aren't we? Adam knew. You remember growing, uh, growing up or where you have kids or grandkids and you put something in front of your child and you say, don't touch. Now, some of my kids would look at us and just go, hmm. And then there was consequences for that. But there's individuals, they struggle with the decision. I mean, should I follow? Should I follow my dad and my mom? I better not do that. They, they're being deceived. When we go off and we just disobey, you know what? Adam did that here. He disobeyed God. He knew. And Eve gave him the, the, the fruit, and he took it and ate. That is why responsibility of the fall falls on Adam. He did not follow the order in which God set up humanity, where he was the head of the home. Does that make sense, church? He disobeyed, knowing what was to come. So choices will be challenged. Satan will challenge our choices. Remember, disobedience is worse than deception. And lastly, we see sin always has a price. Sin always has a price. So I want to look here at the last part of this passage of Scripture, verses 14 through 19. I want to look at the consequences of their action. So first, the, probably the favorite animal of all of us, the snake. Now, some of you may like snakes. That's okay. I grew, my growing up, my dad had snakes, and it was bizarre, but he would hang them on his gun rack in his room, and they just would crawl around. Bizarre, weird, but... I got used to snakes. But here is the consequence for a creation for snakes. Listen, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in all your days. So it gives us this assumption, and scientists have kind of agreed with this, that looking at, this, at the snake's body, that they had legs. 
I mean, <laughs> having snake with legs, I would run. There'd be a big centipede coming at you. No! Can you imagine a 25-foot anaconda with, with legs? Yeah, that would not be good. God gave a consequence to the creation. See, we believe, we believe Satan came into the serpent, possessed the serpent. We see through the New Testament, he came into individuals. People were demon-possessed. We see him going into demons going into pigs and run, running, jumping off cliffs. So Satan here came in and possessed this snake. Well, God gave a consequence to the snake. He was to crawl on his belly. Now the consequence to Satan. Circle the ver- chapter 3, verse 15. This is the gospel. When someone says, where is the first mention of the gospel in the Bible? You turn to Genesis three fifteen. What's he say? And I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We sung about it this morning. Satan is defeated here. Sin entered humanity. It was not a, a, a surprise to God. God is all-knowing. He knew this was going to happen. Here he provided, he told Satan, you're done. The offspring of the woman, which if you follow the genealogy, you go to Luke chapter 3, is Jesus Christ. He will crush the head of Satan. Amen. There is the fix of the fall. To Eve... So you have the snake now, it doesn't have legs, now it's crawling on the, on the ground. You say, thank the Lord. Satan is crushed. He is defeated at the cross. The ladies, to the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Ladies, you ever think, I mean, Cain and Abel came after the fall. But you wonder what childbearing would have been like before the fall. And you're like, sign me up for that. Right, ladies? Right? Because, I mean, I mean my wife was sh- or having her children. It was like easy peasy. <laughs> she just gave me the look. No, no. I, you, guys, men, you understand the pain that women go through in childbearing. Ladies, don't blame your husband. Blame the fall. Blame the serpent. Because this is a consequence of our sin. And then also there you see the desire shall be contrary to your husband. You are going to want to over, be rule over your husband. But Adam here is given the, 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 the area of leadership in the home. And he is to, the woman is supposed to submit to the wife. All right, to the guys, the consequence here. Look at verse 17. You shall, the curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your face you shall, be, you, shall, you, shall, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, but to dust you shall return. Imagine being able to walk through the Garden of Eden and just pick fruit. Like no effort. Just like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll eat this. Okay, great. No really hardships, just no hardship, but everything's perfect. It's provided for them. Now, because of sin, for all of us that have a garden, if you look at all the fruit in ShopRite or Acme, guess what? There was toil for that produce. There was weeding to get that produce. There was tilling. There was someone that had to sweat to get that fruit to be produced. That's the consequence of sin. It goes back 6,000 years. 
So, snake on his belly, Satan's defeated at the cross. Ladies, you have to bear children in pain and childbirth, and also you have to submit the submission of to your husband in the order God created. Okay? Men, we have to toil. We have to work. We have to work for our money. We have to work to see produce. We have to sweat to eat. But lastly, we see in verse 23 that husband and wife both suffered a consequence here as well. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which it was taken. Both Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. Consequence that they both had to endure. It's a lot in this, in this text this morning. But I think there's some application that we can apply to our life today. One is this. Don't believe everything dang- Satan dangles in front of you. Don't believe it. Whatever you think the price you will pay is, it's not the price you will pay. Whatever you think the price you will pay is, is not the price you're going to pay. It will be worse. I like what Skip Heisick says. Satan dangles the immediate but keeps you from the ultimate consequence. He dangles the immediate. That's not so bad. That's okay. He doesn't ever dangles the, 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 the end consequence. This perfect life that God made for Adam and Eve was ruined because of their decision to disobey. We may think here, okay, where is the grace? Where is, where is God's grace in all of this, in this story of the fall? Can you imagine with me, Adam and Eve, after they sin and they're trying to hide because they see that they are naked and they're hiding. Can you imagine Adam saying, okay, Eve, we're going to die. Because isn't that what God told them? If you touch of it, you will die. But to their dismay, they did not die physically. And here, I, I don't want us to miss this. We read this account of creation, but God here is providing grace. Not just Genesis 3.15, where Jesus will crush the head of Satan. But I want us to see here in verse 21 here. God provides a substitute to cover their sin. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin. That word there in the Hebrew is actually skin for protection. So what does this mean? This is anticipation, I believe, for the gospel. He didn't physically kill them, did he? They were spiritually dead. But God placed a covering, but something had to die. So here in Genesis 3, God is starting the sacrificial system here where he killed an animal to give them skin to cover them. See, we have two choices. We can run away from God or we can run to God. Adam and Eve came to God. God, yes, we're sorry. We ate of the tree. We ate of the tree. Here we are. And what did God provide for them? Okay, there's consequences to your sin, but I'm going to let you live and I'm going to provide a covering for you to wear that will remind you See, Genesis 3.15, God fixes the sin problem. It is fulfilled 4,000 years later, but there is hope for humanity. There is a God in hardship who shows grace. He provided a substitute for Adam and Eve to continue living by covering their bodies because of their sin. Listen, creation, humanity, is groaning for Jesus to come back. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. We are living in this fallen world, and we're living in it, and we're, and we're trying to get through it. We see years like 2020, and we say, God, what are you doing? Why does humanity, since the beginning of time, go through such struggles in our world, in our life? The only one we can blame. We can try to blame the president. We can try to blame leaders. We can try to blame this. Guess what, church? It goes back to Genesis 3. The blame goes back to Satan. 
the great misleader, the great deceiver. If you or I were Adam and Eve in the garden, guess what? We would have made the same decision because Satan is good at what he does. He wants to destroy our lives. So in times of history, we see things that are happening like 2020 or we see other things in the world. I mean, we could go back just in the time we lived. There's been very, very bad things in the world since the creation of the world. But I'd like to close out and back in Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning. When all else seems to fail, when all else seems to be gone, we see in Genesis chapter 3, God gives us grace and hardship. Their hardship was they disobeyed God. God gave them grace. God gave them a substitute to cover their sin. Genesis 3.15 tells us that Jesus is our substitute. He is going to crush the head of the serpent. That is our hope. But I like what Habakkuk says. and He knows what he's going to go through. He's going through something a little bit worse than 2020 in, his, in the context of Habakkuk. Here's what he says here in verse 17. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. I'm going to stop there. This means from Habakkuk, when I have nothing, that, that illustration there, food, produce, animals, which were good for eating and for work, when you have nothing, what does he say in verse 18? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Church, we must remember, God is always good when life is not. God is always good when life is not. Was God good in 2020? When life was not? He sure was. You see... When we look at what we've been through, we see and we have God's plan for us, don't we? We talk about eschatology or end times. That is our hope. You know, we look at, you know, as an American, I get fired up. What's going on, right? We all do. You know, we share these things. I just fire, but I just step back. Okay, I'm a Christian first. What does God's word say? And guess what, church? One thing I learned this week, we must come this way for Jesus to set up his kingdom. We must come this way. The Bible tells us we are going to go through these things. Now, as a church, we believe in our eschatology that Jesus is going to come and get his church out of here. He's going to save us from the wrath to come, and we look forward to that day, don't we? So for anything that prophecy does for us, it should encourage us to be evangelistic. Because we don't want our friends and family to go through the tribulation period. But just think about it. You, you think about it as an American. You get frustrated. You get, what, what's happening? We're losing our freedoms. We're just being conditioned. If we could be made to wear masks everywhere, how easy it will be for the Antichrist to come into our world and say, you can't buy or sell without the mark. And we're like, oh my goodness. Oh, Praise God. That means we're out of here and we're with Jesus. And so we can be frustrated. And I'm, I'm with you at times. I'm an American. I look at fr- but then I got to put my Christian hat on and say, we're supposed to walk this way. This is the way God planned for us to walk. So in closing, through the pages of Scripture, we see God's grace interwoven through the stories. Despite what we deserve, despite our sin, despite Adam and Eve's sin, 
For the past 6,000 years, we have been in this predicament. But God loved his creation enough that he provided a substitute, that he conquered sin. And we that accept that gift, we accept that promise, we will live with him forever. He gave us a covering for our sin. So remember in times, in the midst of chaos and confusion, and amidst like, in a year like 2020, we're kind of peeking through what 2021 is going to look like. We're like, what's going to happen? It doesn't matter. Because like Habakkuk says, no matter, I have nothing. Guess what? I'm still going to rejoice in you. Because unlike Habakkuk, we have God's plan right in front of us. So church, as we start out this 2021, let's be encouraged. We must walk this way. We must walk this way for Jesus to come eventually to set up his kingdom where we will rule and reign with him. Ray, excited about that church? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the promises that you have given us. Lord, I know we can get scared and nervous and things are happening in our country, but Lord, we know that the end game is we're with you and we have to walk this way to get there. And we know that you, as Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 3, we will trust you, we will rejoice in you, no matter what happens. Encourage us this week. Allow us, Father, to share our faith with someone this week. Lord, things that are happening around us, as we have answered many questions of individuals, Lord, maybe at work or at home with our kids or in the community, folks are asking questions about things that are happening. Maybe we can share with them the good news of Jesus. So give us a, a great week. We love you, and we thank you for this time together. In your precious name, amen. Let's all stand up together and we're going to sing that first song, that, that new song that we sung. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink from the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come all you sinners. Come find his mercy, come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave us. His one and only son to save us, whoever Have a great afternoon. We'll see you tonight for the Agape Dinner.